Today we kick off a brand new series called Winning the War in Your Mind. I wonder today how many of us have an ongoing battle right here. Have an ongoing war in your mind. So often I battle between thoughts of faith and thoughts of fear, between things that God is calling me to, positive thoughts, encouraging thoughts, and discouraging thoughts. Man, and I know I am not the only one. What we're going to do over the next four weeks is we want to empower you to win the war in your mind. To, to begin taking victory in areas that you have only to this point seen defeat. We believe that God's word holds for you those keys. Maybe you're like this. Maybe you can in one moment be full of spiritual confidence that God is with you and for you and called you. And the next moment you're filled with crippling insecurity, shame, guilt, Feelings of unworthiness that hold you back. Pastor Craig Groeschel from Life Church in Oklahoma City recently wrote a book called Winning the War in Your Mind. And we're basing this series on this book as well as a teaching series that he did for his church that they've made all the resources, the videos, that type of thing available for us. So I want you guys to know this is not necessarily my material, not that it matters, uh, but man, this is stuff that I have learned from and am learning from and am putting into practice in my life right now, and I truly believe this will revolutionize your thought life, if you will allow it to. Uh, what Pastor Craig has found and inspired him to write this book is that the latest uh, scientific research in a kind of a new field of psychology called cognitive behavioral therapy agrees and lines up with the timeless scriptures from the Word of God when it comes to the area of our thoughts. I'm going to start today in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, uh, excuse me, it's actually chapter 4, I wrote chapter 2, but it's chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, and the Apostle Paul, as he's finishing up his letter to the church in Philippi, he says this, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, so that's to Christians, that's to you, if you are a believer in Jesus, this is for you, he says, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So Paul gives us a checklist that we can compare and contrast our thoughts to. Do our thoughts line up with these characteristics? I would ask you this morning to do a little personal inventory. The things that you think about on a daily basis, on a regular basis, are they true? Are they noble? Are they right? Are they pure? Are they admirable? Are they lovely? Are they excellent? Are they praiseworthy? Do your thoughts line up with what the Word of God has to say? If the answer is no today, I'm not here to condemn you or shame you. I'm not here to send you out of here feeling worse and thinking more bad thoughts about yourself than you did when you came in. I'm here to tell you that the word of God will empower you to begin revolutionizing your thought life if you'll allow it to. If the word of God holds the key for you to win the battle in your mind. Here's what I believe. I believe that most of life's battles are won or lost right here. Most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. It's not 
with that person at work. It's not with your spouse. It's not with your child. It's not out here. It's really one right here. When you can get victory here, it's going to spill out into your life. And so we are going to dig in and fight to discover how to win the battle in our thought life. The Apostle Paul in that passage we just read in Philippians 4, 8 and 9, in three sentences he moves from thought, he says, think about these things, to action, he says, put these into practice, all the way to experience. He says, the God of peace be with you. Cognitive behavioral therapy, meanwhile, is this relatively new field of psychology that's discovered that many problems in life, from eating disorder to relational challenges, some addictions, some, not all, but some forms of depression and anxiety, are actually rooted in negative and faulty patterns of thinking. And so psychology teaches us that if we can treat those patterns of thought, we can set people free from those addictions, those depressions, those anxieties, those relational challenges. So we are going to move from thought to action to experience. You see, your mind is a battlefield. There is a constant war being waged right here, whether you realize it or not. The good news, and there is very good news, is that God's word is powerful. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It will help you not just get a little bit better, but if you'll allow it to, God's word will transform you and empower you to renew your mind. Because God's word is so powerful, would you stand on your feet with me in honor of the reading of the word of God? We're going to read a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Mark almost sat down. He was just in perfect position when I said to everybody to stand up. I saw him get a little grin. Uh, you're welcome, Mark. Saved you from one more time on your old legs. Um, I love you. Mark is my partner in running our men's ministry, Man Up. He is an awesome, awesome guy, and uh, he makes fun of himself for being old sometimes, so I jumped on the bandwagon. All right, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For some of you, I can stop the sermon right there. If you will grab 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, and just take that out of here, that will revolutionize your life. Because I believe there's a whole lot of Christians, a whole lot of believers, a whole lot of men and women who know Jesus, who love Jesus, but they are stuck waging war the way the world wages war. We're fighting our battles on social media. We're fighting our battles in conversation. We're fighting our battles through the ballot box, through political means, through protests, through all these other things. And I'm not saying none of those things matter. I'm not saying we should never be involved in those things. But I'm saying the battle that God has called us to fight doesn't look like any of those things. And so if we're going to win the war that God has called us to win, number one, we got to recognize what war we're called to win. That's why in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us that your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. Because you can't win war against the enemy when you're fighting the wrong enemy. you got to fight the right enemy. So we've got to, number one, recognize that we're not called to fight the way the world fights. We're not called to fight against the world. We're called to fight a different battle. Verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So not only do we not fight the same war that the world fights, we don't fight with the same weapons. You know why? Because ours are better. 
because ours are more powerful. In fact, it says this. It says, on the contrary, your weapons, the weapons God has placed in your hand as a believer in Jesus Christ, have divine power to demolish strongholds. Do you hear that language, church? That's a powerful declaration. You know that word divine power? That word power there, it's the same Greek word as is in Acts 1.8 when he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That word is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It's dynamic, explosive, demonstrative, undeniable power. And the word of God says you have that power. The weapons you fight with have that power. They have divine power to do what? To demolish strongholds. Would you pray with me? Father God, we pray right now that your people would access your word in a level to a degree that perhaps they never have before. God, I pray for every thought battle in this room right now. God, for every person who is defeated, who's discouraged, who's depressed, who's fearful, who's giving into addiction and temptation. God, whatever that thought battle looks like in their life, we thank you, Lord God, that you've given us weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. So God, right now in Jesus' name, we speak to those strongholds of fear. We speak to those strongholds of shame. We speak to those strongholds of bitterness and unforgiveness, to those strongholds of depression. Father God, we speak to those strongholds of addiction right now in Jesus' name, and we rebuke them, and we declare that the power you've placed in your people is greater than the power of that stronghold. God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would allow us, through your Holy Spirit, to grab hold of these weapons you've given us and to become victorious in Jesus' name. And we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I'm fired up for this message, church. I'm fired up to empower you with these tools because I think it's so important. I think we have so many believers defeated in their thought life right now. And if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, to bless a city, if you're going to be the believer that God's called you to be, to be life-giving, man, to be someone who, who plunders hell and populates heaven, if we're going to walk in the calling God has created us for, we've got to first start winning the battle up here before we're ever going to win it out here. The good news is we can. And I believe that we will as we access this and grab hold of it. The word for stronghold in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the Greek word is okaroma. Okaroma. And okaroma meant a military stronghold. It was typically a fortress built on the highest peak in a city. I brought a picture to illustrate this. This is actually Masada in Israel. It's a fortress built on the top of a hill. It's placed there because it's almost impossible to be attacked. You can't attack a fortress built on the top of a hill. It's Now, obviously, this is ancient warfare. Modern warfare, we have bombs and planes, and there are ways to do that. But 2,000 years ago, you had to get to the top of the hill just to fight the battle, and you're already at a massive disadvantage. And so when the Word of God says that you have weapons with divine power to demolish strongholds, it's saying to demolish fortresses, to overcome a place like this, why would you need to demolish a fortress? Because this fortress 
did a couple of things. Number one, obviously, it protected the city and the people in it. But it was also used as a prison where prisoners of war would be kept. People from the enemy were kept so that the enemy could not rescue them, could not set them free. This, I believe, is the picture that Paul is getting at is that our thoughts can often actually lock us in a prison, a stronghold where, man, we have this repeated pattern of negativity, this repeated pattern of discouragement, this repeated pattern of fear, of shame, of guilt, of unforgiveness, of temptation, whatever it may be, and that pattern locks us in a prison of which it feels like there's no escape. Pastor Groeschel, in the beginning of the first chapter of his book, tells a story to illustrate this. And uh, it's such a perfect story. I want to let him share it with you. So I found online a clip of him sharing this illustration with his church. So check this out. We used to play a game years ago called Capture the Flag. And it was a violent game. We had lots of injuries and such. So we had to come up with some rules for safety. And one of the rules was you couldn't go attack an enemy's flag until 8 a.m. because, you know, it just wasn't fair. And so one day I came into our offices uh, about 7 a.m. And my my spiritual spidey senses (laughs) told me something was amiss. (laughs) And it was capture the flag gaming. And so I just thought I'm going to go, it's the weirdest thing, I'm going to go look in the closet. And that's what I did. I opened up the closet, and sure enough, Pastor Kevin had been waiting in the closet, who knows, since 4 (laughs) a.m., waiting for the 8 o'clock bell to sound so he could go and capture my flag. And so I thought, well, God prompted me to lock you in here all day long and immediately just (laughs) slammed the door and put my foot up against the door and grabbed an office chair and slammed it under the door to make him pay because you reap what you sow and there are spiritual consequences. And God is the one who brings justice. He just chose me to bring justice on that day. So I tried to lock him in, but the chair didn't fit. So in love and war, everything is fair. So I just lied and confessed my sin to God and God forgave my sin. And I said, Kevin, you're locked in by a chair. It wasn't true. The chair didn't fit, but I told him, with all pastoral confidence, you're locked in and you'll spend the day locked in this closet. God is my witness. Pastor Kevin never tried to open the door. (laughs) He just started whining. Let me out. This isn't fair. And I sat there and laughed for several minutes when he never tried to open the door. Eight o'clock came around. I had a premarital counseling appointment. I was sitting in my desk while Kevin was in an unlocked door. And 20 minutes or so later, God is my witness, I heard something in the ceiling tile above me. (laughs) Pastor Kevin had scaled the shelves in the closet gotten up in the ceiling tile and was trying to make his escape because he believed a lie that an unlocked door held him prisoner. So that's an amazing story, number one. But number two, uh, I think it has great application for us. I wonder how many believers in this room today 
are trapped behind an unlocked door, trapped by a lie from the enemy that things will never change, that they will never get better, that you will never be free, that you will never be able to walk in the calling that God has on your life. The very next verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says this. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Do you hear the language here, church? This is proactive, aggressive language. This is not passive. This is not procrastinating. This is not, I'll get around to it at some point. This is urgent. Right now, we're going to demolish these arguments, these pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of Christ. Right now, we're going to begin to take captive the thoughts that come into our mind and do what? Make them obedient to Christ. What I believe is this, I believe our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Your life today, right now, is moving in the direction of whatever your strongest thoughts are. If your strongest thoughts today are discouragement, fear, shame, your life is moving in that direction. If, on the other hand, your strongest thoughts today are are faith. They're encouraged. They're believing God for something better. You are moving towards the thing that you are thinking about the most. Proverbs 23, 7 says famously, for as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. That whatever you believe, whatever you're thinking on and dwelling on, that's actually going to be who you become. Because what we think determines who we become question is, church, who are you becoming? What are you thinking on? What are your strongest thoughts, and where are those thoughts taking you this morning? See, the life we have is a reflection of the thoughts that we think. We can look into your life, into where you're at right now, and we can see a reflection of the things you have been thinking. If you dwell on problems On frustrations, they're probably going to overcome you. If you dwell on things that cause you to be depressed or things that are depressing, they're probably going to depress you. If, on the other hand, you look for solutions, you look at the bright side, you're going to see something that causes you to feel better. Science calls this confirmation bias. That the things that you're already thinking and you already believe, that you're constantly looking for things to back them up. So if you think the world is out to get you and you're a victim, you're going to find a whole lot of reasons to think, man, everybody's out to get me and the world's against me. But if you think, I'm a child of God, I'm victorious, I'm blessed, I'm chosen, I'm adopted. If you begin to believe the things about yourself that the word of God says about yourself, you're going to start finding all kinds of things in life that line up to tell you you are blessed, you are chosen, you are accepted, you are whatever it is that God is saying about you, you're going to begin to find confirmation of those things. Henry Ford famously put it this way. He said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. And man, if you think you can, you're going to find a way to do it, and you're going to be able to. You're going to be victorious. Why? Because as a man thinks, so he is. If you think you can't, you're probably going to be stuck in that rut of negative thinking and never be able to have that victory. 
So what I want to do today is I want you to take a thought audit with me. What we're going to do is we're going to present three different lines, three different paradigms between an undesired type of thinking and a desired type of thinking. And we're going to rank ourselves one to ten. Where do we see ourselves on that line? Go ahead and put that first one up for me. We're going to compare where are we on this line. When you wake up in the morning, when you get out of bed, do you see yourself having thoughts that are more on the worried end of the spectrum or thoughts that are more on the peaceful end of the spectrum? Is the first thing you think about fearful of what's going to happen in that day? Are you anxious? Are you worried about your kids? Or are those first thoughts you have thoughts of victory? Thoughts of faith, man, thoughts of, man, look what God is doing. The reality is a lot of us are probably going to be more on the worried end of this spectrum. And I'm not here to put you down because your thoughts aren't what they need to be, but I want us to be honest about where we are right now. What do you see? Do you see more worry in your thinking or more peace? Second spectrum we'll put up there is the spectrum between negative and positive. Are the thoughts that you generally think more on the negative end or more on the positive end? Now, I have some more bad news for you. I got some good news today, but I got some bad news too. Psychology tells us that, between five, that, that the average person has between five and six negative thoughts for every positive thought. The average person has between five and six negative thoughts for every positive thought. That means most of us are like negative three on that scale, right? Like we're thinking a whole lot more negative than we are positive. Why is that? Because the enemy is really good at his job. He's really good at locking people in a stronghold in their own mind where they believe the world is out to get them. We believe that everything's going to go badly. They believe all these negative thoughts that he puts in there. In fact, the enemy's so good at this that he'll plant a thought in our mind and then he'll leave it alone and he'll just let us beat ourselves up with it over and over. That we'll do his job for him and he can go mess with somebody else. The reality is most of us are very, very far on the negative side. Now, the good news is the Word of God has keys, has weapons, has opportunities, and a path for us to flip that. I believe you can have five positive thoughts for every negative one. I believe there's an overachiever in here that can have six positive thoughts for every negative thought. I believe there's somebody by the power of the Holy Spirit inside them that can begin to think positive thoughts, can begin to think God thoughts, word of God thoughts, and replace those negative thoughts with positive. What I'm not saying is every time you have a negative thought, you're a sinner or you're a failure. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we are empowered to take those negative thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Make them line up with what the word of God has to say, not just what my feelings have to say, not just what my mood has to say, but with what the word of God has to say. One more spectrum for you to consider, and this is my least favorite one because it's the one I do the worst on. Look at your thoughts and compare. Are they more on the worldly end of the spectrum or the eternal end of the spectrum? Do you spend more time thinking about things that are pointless and worthless or more time thinking about things that will last forever? I don't like my answer on this one, church. I don't like the inventory I had to do when I was first presented this material. Start looking at 
the spectrum of how often am I thinking worldly thoughts. I've spent a lot more time thinking about stupid stuff like sports than I probably should. Not that sports should never be a part of a Christian's life, but I put way more thought and time and energy into it sometimes than I do things that are eternal and everlasting. And God's calling me to something higher. He's calling me to something better. He's calling me to invest my energy in things that will last forever. And so this is where my thought battle is this week, church. This is where I'm centering all of this teaching and all of this powering that I'm giving you. This is where it is for me is fighting off the worldly thoughts and choosing things that are true, that are noble, that are pure, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy, things that matter for eternity. I'm going to meditate on those things. I'm going to think on those things, and I'm going to begin to win victory in this area in my thinking. I believe this with all my heart. What comes into your mind comes out in your life. Especially when it's something that comes in that we hold on to, that we dwell on. Now, if we can, it comes in and we make it obedient to Christ, that new thought that we've made obedient to Christ, that's also going to come out in our life. Right? But the reality is this. You cannot have a positive life with a negative mind. You want a good life? You want a blessed life? You want a victorious life? You want a life that looks like Jesus, a life where you see victory, where God is moving in you and through you? You won't walk in that consistently until you learn to get victory right here. If we can get it here, we'll have it here. God's called us to reach a city, to bless a city, to share the gospel with a city. If we can get a room this size full of people to flip their thought life, to begin to make our thoughts obedient to Christ, there is no limit to what we can accomplish in this area. There is no limit to what God can do in your family, in your workplace, on your campus, if you will embrace the truth and begin to take your thoughts captive. Remember this, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So where's your life moving this morning? Are you excited about the direction that your thoughts are taking you? Or do you recognize, hey, I need to do a 180-degree turn. I need to flip some things around. I need to stop moving to this worried, negative, worldly end of the spectrum, and I'm going to choose to start moving towards the peaceful, positive, eternal end of the spectrum when it comes to my thought life. If that's you, I want to empower you today with two pieces of homework. Nobody gets excited for homework. (laughs) It's, It's Sunday. I'm not even in school today. It's almost summertime, and pastor's giving me homework. I'm going to empower you with two pieces of homework. Here's what we're going to do. These two steps, all of us, I'm going to challenge you. I want to encourage you to do these, and you're going to begin to start seeing some things change in your thought life. Number one, I want you to identify the biggest stronghold holding you back. You might have a bunch. You might have the whole list, right? You you might have fear, and you might have depression, and you might have discouragement, and you might have temptation, and and we could go down. You worry, right? You, You might have all of it. Unforgiveness, bitterness, you might have all of them. I want you to pick one. What's the biggest stronghold in your mind right now? What's the biggest area that you are losing this battle? What's the biggest fortress the enemy has built in your mind? What does that look like? Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe you were abused as a kid 
And the enemy just continues to bring that pain back up over and over and over. And God wants to bring you healing that you've told yourself isn't even possible. You've given up hope in believing that you could actually experience that healing and that you could actually have a day where that thing that was done to you 30 years ago doesn't torment you today. I don't know what that stronghold looks like in your life, but I know God has called you to demolish that stronghold and take your thoughts captive. So that's the number one. What's the biggest one? It's the largest stronghold in your thinking right now that's holding you back. I want you to identify it. I believe this. I believe you cannot defeat what you cannot define. You can't defeat what you can't define. Again, that's why in Ephesians, when the same man, the Apostle Paul, is empowering us to do spiritual warfare. He's telling us how to put on the armor of God. That's why he tells us your, wep- your, your battle is not against flesh and blood. Why? Because he's saying so many of you are fighting the wrong battle. You can't defeat what you can't define. You think the battle's over here, but the battle's actually over here. So he tells us what the battle is. He says you wrestle, you war against powers, against principalities of this dark, present darkness, right? These, these demonic forces. That's where the war is. It's in the spirit realm. It's also in our mind. So number one, identify the biggest stronghold holding you back. Here's the good news and the bad news of the psychological side of this. Psychology teaches us that when we do something repeatedly, whether it's a thought, a behavior, an action, whatever, that we build neural pathways in our mind. That, that literally there's these neural transmitters that move from one part of our brain to another, and as they go, they actually dig paths. Just like if you were to walk through a place in the woods, my wife and, and, and I and the kids, we went for a hike yesterday at Arcabutla. Uh, tried to get outside, tried to get some exercise. So we went for this hike and we went through uh, like it's supposed to be like one mile. It's not supposed to be difficult, but apparently we didn't realize that it had just dumped rain and so it's super muddy and we got like the stroller stuck and we're sliding around and it was not like the most pleasant experience we've ever had, but we accomplished it. We did it, right? But as we went on that hike, where did we do? We walked a path that other people have walked before us. And because that path has been well-marked, because it's been well-worn, there's not brush on the path. There's not branches on the path. There's not stuff in the way. It's easy to walk. Now, if we stepped off of the path, it gets difficult. You get tripped up. You get slowed up. Well, the same thing that happens in nature happens in your mind. When you have a constant thought, a frequent thought, a frequent activity, your brain builds a pathway. And it makes it easier to, to have that same thought again. So what it actually becomes is self-propelled. It makes it easier and easier to have that. So that's the bad news. If you're in a stronghold right now, why are you in a stronghold of thinking? You think that fearful thought because you've got a groove of fear in your mind. Why do you give in to that same temptation, that habit, that addiction all the time? Because your, your brain has a pathway that is built for you to end up partaking in that thing that you're addicted to. The good news is this. You can build new pathways. That when you take those thoughts captive, you're going to step off of that path and onto a new path, and it's going to be hard at first. It's going to be a process at first. That pathway isn't built. And so that's why it's so important to go and do battle with this today, to to start now. That's why there's urgency to this, because if you wait, it's only going to get harder. It'll be harder next week than it is right now. It'll be more difficult next year than it is today. The best chance for you to flip this and to gain victory over this, the easiest it will ever be is right now. So take up your sword and go to battle in your mind. So you can make new pathways. And once you do, it's going to be easier and easier. You ever got in the habit of reading your Bible? Man, when you first start reading your Bible, it can be tough. But if you stick to it, if you set a time, and man, this is when I'm going to get in the Word, and this is when I spend a time with God, 
It becomes reflexive. It becomes a habit. Why is that? It's not this massive spiritual reality. It's because the way that God created your mind to work, you've built a pathway, a neural pathway, and you've made it easy for yourself to spend time in the Word of God. We could do that with, with any habit. Worship, prayer, going to church, giving, whatever it might be, right? It gets easier and easier the more often you do it and harder and harder the more often you miss it. It's just the way that it works. It's the way that God designed your brains to be. He designed us to be creatures of habit. He designed us to embrace the things that we do on a regular basis. So you got to identify the biggest stronghold. What's the deepest groove? What's the deepest rut? What's the biggest challenge in your life right now? And you got to go to work with it. Why do I tell you all that about psychology? Because you need to know this isn't something where we're going to raise our hand on a prayer today and pray something through, and all of a sudden this never is an issue again. Most of the time it doesn't work that way. It's going to be a fight, and it's going to be a process. Because your brain has been programmed to give in to these fearful thoughts, to these anxious thoughts, to these depressed thoughts, to these temptations. Whatever it is, your brain has been programmed that this is what I'm going to do. And deprogramming it and reprogramming it doesn't just happen instantaneously. It takes work. The good news is the work can be done. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. The more that that pathway grows up, the more that, that, that the underbrush begins to grow because that pathway has been neglected and it's a whole lot harder to go down that pathway again. That's the goal. That's the vision. That's where we're headed. So number one, we're going to identify the biggest stronghold holding you back. And number two, you're going to name it. You're going to name the truth that demolishes the stronghold. What truth demolishes it? What truth shatters that thing? So let me give you some examples. If your biggest stronghold in your life right now is shame, condemnation. Man, every time that that God starts to stir on you to do something, the enemy reminds you of your failure from your past. Reminds you of the way that you blew it in this other area. Reminds you of the, the way that you spectacularly failed, whatever it might be. If that's the way that it goes and your biggest stronghold is condemnation, then you need to stand on the word of God where the Bible says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. In other words, I don't have to be ashamed of my past. I don't have to be ashamed of my failings. Jesus died for them, and he actually says that he uses my weakness to to be made perfect, and so I'm going to be proud of the stuff that I've gone through that God's delivered me from, and I'm not going to give in to that condemnation anymore. So you're going to speak that verse, that truth, when the enemy tries to bring that thought up, when that shame creeps up. Maybe for you, your biggest stronghold is fear. Maybe you're just fearful. What's, what's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with politics? What's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with that? Can, can I just encourage you, church? Things may get worse in our country. Things may get worse politically. Things may happen in the schools that shouldn't be happening. But we don't have to be afraid because we know how the story ends. We know who's victorious, okay? And so we don't have to cower in fear. Does that mean that we don't fight battles? Does that mean we don't stand up for our kids? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm so tired of Christians being so fearful about what's happening in the world. We got nothing to be afraid of. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world, okay? So we can be bold. We can be confident. We can be positive and quit speaking all this negativity and discouragement and depression out into the world because we're so frustrated that things aren't going the way it's supposed to. Jesus told us it's not going to go the way. Like, he said, look, there's going to be tribulation in this world. There's going to be trouble in this world. But he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. Okay? So we don't have to freak out every time something goes away that we don't think that it should go. 
I'm not saying we don't speak truth into situations. We do, but we don't have to freak out about it. That's all I'm saying, okay? So if your biggest thing is fear, if that's your biggest stronghold, you're going to stand on the promise of the word of God that God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but he's giving me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You're going to take that thing. Every time that fear pops up, every time that anxiety comes in that says, hey, this thing's going to go wrong with the economy. This thing's going to go wrong with the kids. What if this happens? What if, this, what if the car breaks down? Whatever that fear looks like, you're going to speak into it. God's not giving me that spirit of fear, so I'm not going to receive that fear. Okay, And the more that you take it captive, the more that you speak into it, the easier it's going to get. And we can do this with, with any of these situations, right? If it's temptation, we're going to claim that, that 1 Corinthians tells us that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted except that he will make a way out. He'll always make a way for us to escape. So if a temptation comes, you're going to speak to that temptation. You're going to speak to that bottle. You're going to speak to that website. You're going to speak to whatever that temptation looks like in your life, and you're going to say, God has made a way out for me to resist this. And I'm taking this thing captive, okay? And if you don't know how to speak the word of God and speak the truth into whatever stronghold you're facing, find me, find one of our leaders, and we will help you find the truth of the word of God that you can stand on to defeat whatever stronghold you have. But we're going to identify the biggest stronghold holding us back this week. And number two, we're going to name the truth that demolishes the stronghold. 2 Corinthians 10.5, just for review, I want to empower you with this. Take this, highlight it, write it, put it on an index card on your dash, put it on your refrigerator, put it somewhere you'll see it. It says, we demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So it's not like, man, we do some, and every once in a while we get around to this. On Sundays we go, man, every single thought. We're going to get to the place where we're demolishing every thought that comes in that doesn't look like Jesus. It says, and then we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This is what God's people do. I need you to know this, church. God never calls you to something he doesn't empower you to do. God doesn't ask us to live up to something in his word that he doesn't give us his Holy Spirit with the ability to walk it out. Almost done. If you're getting baptized today, you can go ahead and, and slip out and get dressed and get ready. Uh, I want to close with two more verses, and then we'll let the rest of us go, and we'll go out and celebrate with these five who are taking this step today. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. It says, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Some of you just need to grab that, and that could be your truth, to speak into your stronghold. God's power has given you, as a believer, this isn't to pastors. This isn't to missionaries. This isn't to the spiritually elite. This is to everyone who's received the salvation of Jesus Christ. His divine power has given you everything you need for a godly life. He's not calling you to something. He's not equipping you to walk out. You have everything you need for a godly life. Look at your neighbor and say, you got everything you need. Look at your second choice and say, I got everything I need. You have everything you need to live a godly life. Some of you, the lie that you're believing, the stronghold you need to take authority of is just that you'll never be able to live the life that God has for you. You'll always have a defeated Christian life. You'll never live up to what God's called you to. That's a lie from the enemy. It's a stronghold, and you need to take those thoughts captive because God's got something great for you. Amen? Last verse, very famous, Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 32, he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Why are we speaking truth into these strongholds? Because it's the truth that sets us free. The truth of the word of God, the truth of the way that God has created his world to exist, the truth of the Holy Spirit that he's placed inside of you, the truth will set you free. But you see this this verse works on two levels. Because yes, truth brings freedom, and that's absolutely true. But we can also capitalize that T in truth. See, Jesus is saying, you will know the truth. Pointing at himself, not at me, let me just be clear. Pointing at Jesus, he said, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You see, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth. And so if you're here today and you're wrestling with negative thoughts, you're watching online this morning and you're wrestling with temptation, with discouragement, with fear, with depression, with whatever that may be, I need you to know a couple of things. First of all, the word of God has power and will work on your behalf. Secondly, there's no shame in getting help of counselors, of medication. This is not a message that says all you need is, is the word of God and you never need any other help. Please don't mishear me. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that there's a battle that God's empowering you to fight. If you need counseling on top of it, man, there's great Christian counselors. We recommend people to Christian counselors frequently. We will help you find a good counselor. Uh, There's medication that some people need because there's things that are chemically off that you need to get fixed, okay? So please don't hear that all you need is the word of God and that's going to fix everything. It won't, but it will fix a lot. And there's battles that I believe every one of us are facing that we're losing right now that the word of God will absolutely fix. And we got to do our part. We got to take up our sword and fight it. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're here today and you're missing that truth of Jesus, you've never submitted yourself to his lordship, you've never chosen him as king of your life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Two things God requires of us. Number one, he requires faith. He actually gives us that faith that he requires. He initiates that in our heart, but you've got to believe it. You've got to grab it and say, look, I may not be able to tell you all the ways that it happened scientifically or or even understand everything that happened, but I believe Jesus died for me, and I believe he's alive today. It's a prerequisite for being a Christian, for being a follower of Jesus. But then he says you need to confess him as Lord. Lord means... more than Jesus, I just want you to save me. It means more than, hey, I don't want to go to hell. It means, Jesus, I'm following you. You're my king and I'm choosing your way. And if you're ready to make Jesus your Lord, if you're ready to follow him today, then the truth will set you free. Ultimately, you'll be set free of your sin. You'll be set free from the punishment of your sin. You'll be set free from the slavery to sin that all of us are in without Jesus. He'll be set you free. And then he'll send his Holy Spirit in you to live in you, to begin empowering you to to be set free in your mind, to renew your mind, 